Alright, all right, take your seats everyone. This time we're talking about identity and how it can change your behavior. Take your seats, please. Thanks. Hello and welcome. This is the Change Academy podcast, a show where we give you the tools and strategies to help you create sustainable, positive changes in your habits, in your mindset, and in your life. I'm Monica Reinagel. And I'm Brock Armstrong. The things that we do on a routine basis, well, they impact how we see ourselves. And the opposite is also true. How we see ourselves can influence how we act. In other words, our habits and our identity are closely tied to one another. So in this episode, we're going to talk about how to make sure that connection between our behavior and our identity is working for us and not against us. That's right, because it's working one way or the other. (laughs) It's true. Very true. But first, let's just catch people up on what we've been working on. And Brock, for the last couple of episodes, you've been teasing us about this new project, and I think you're ready to actually give us the full update now on your new podcast. Oh, wouldn't that be a lovely idea if I was able to do exactly that, but I'm not. And because of that fact, what I did want to talk about was how I'm actually putting into play something that we've talked about many times on this podcast, and that is radical acceptance. I had this idea in my head when I was leaving the Get Fit Guy podcast and starting this new podcast, I had a plan in my head how everything was going to play out and it was going to be on this calendar and it was going to seamlessly flow from one thing to another and everyone would be so happy and I would be showered in riches and <laughs> accolades. <laughs> That's and, a good plan. Yeah, it's it seemed like a wonderful plan. But I'm thinking of it now as like when people talk about getting renovations done on their house. Mm. I don't think I know anyone who has had any sort of a major renovation anyway that has come in on time and on budget. Right. And that's kind of the situation that I'm finding myself in with this new podcast is we have blown past several of my, anyway, my deadlines and my milestones, and there's still no actual tangible, shareable launch date in sight. Mm. But I have to keep giving myself just sort of a a bit of a pep talk and realizing that just because it isn't adhering to my ideal schedule that I had laid out in my head, there are a lot of pieces at play, a lot of other people's agendas, a lot of other people's inputs, all involved in getting this to be an actual success. So (laughs) practicing some radical acceptance and definitely practicing the, the serenity mantra or the serenity prayer, the control the things you can control release the things you can't control and have the wisdom to know the difference. So all that to say, I don't have anything concrete to share, but I do have a practical example of how sometimes radical acceptance is the answer. Well, I'm sorry that you've been frustrated by slow progress, but I'm glad you found a a way to use it as a practice to... (laughs) (laughs) to put things into practice that we've talked about. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's always the challenge when we're working with other people is that then we have other people's agendas and ideas to, to cope with. But usually those things that we team up with someone else to do are worth those compromises because, you know, the sum is greater than the Oh, God, can we stitch more cliches into here? (laughs) (laughs) I love this, the cliche hour. (laughs) 
And by the same token, what you were saying about, you know, preparing for those inevitable delays, um, I've been sharing some updates on this, uh, this new project that I've been working on with the relaunch of the Nutrition GPA. Mm-hmm. But at least I knew that it was going to never happen on the timetable that we originally hoped. So when my developer said, yeah, I think we should be able to roll this out by May, I mentally just doubled that time frame. And mm. it looks like we're going to be coming right in on that time frame. So we are hoping next week to be updating the Nutrition GPA app. And if you're already a user, then you probably got an email from me already kind of with a little bit of a drum roll. And we're hoping to bring that across the finish line next week. So... Nice. I've seen it too. So anybody out there who's waiting for it, I can I can tease it further that it looks awesome. <laughs> it functions really well. I, I think it's a huge step forward. I'm really excited about it. But let's get into today's topic. I've been looking forward to recording this episode all week because I'm just so interested in what we're talking about today. And in this podcast in general, of course, we talk a lot about how to create the changes that we want to see in our lives. And so much of this focuses on specific behaviors that we want to change, right. whether those are harmful habits like smoking or overeating or worrying or overspending, things that we want to break, or perhaps good habits like exercising or saving or eating healthy or being more patient or tolerant, things that we want to adopt. <laughs> that being more patient really hit home yeah, for right. me. <laughs> but because our habits are so closely tied to our identity, to how we define ourselves, we want to make sure that we've got both of those things aligned and working together. For example, it can be much harder to change an undesirable behavior or reprogram an unhelpful way of responding if we've tied that behavior or that response to our identity. Mm -hmm. So I want to suggest that it can often be really helpful, really important to separate what we do or experience from who we are. I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, but we've also talked about this in the podcast before. But one of the most important steps in my own cognitive behavior therapy when I was the patient learning to manage my anxiety was to stop identifying myself as an anxious person and just realize that I'm not an anxious person. I am a competent, a loving, a capable person who has experienced anxiety. Now, yes, that is subtle, but... It is also very meaningful, that distinction right there. Absolutely. When we over-identify with an undesirable trait or behavior, like I'm an anxious person, or I'm just a quitter, or I have zero willpower. Oh, I've heard that one so many times. Yeah, me too. But those kinds of statements to ourselves, they undermine our belief that we can change them. Because of course, we believe the things we say to ourselves. Yes. And so when we say that I am anxious, I have zero willpower, what what happens is we end up creating more evidence to support the belief that this negative trait is actually just who we are. Mm -hmm. And I think another problem with linking our identity to something that we don't like about ourselves is that, you know, that can create a lot of self-judgment or blame or self-loathing even at its most extreme. So not only do we not enjoy being overweight or underemployed or anxious <laughs> or single, but now we... Or we broke. <laughs> right. But now we also hate ourselves or we blame ourselves for being that way. And, you know, how hard are we going to work to help someone that we hate? 
we have that saying that we say all the time in the weight loss program, you can't hate yourself healthy. But sometimes we try. (laughs) Again and again and again. And just think, if I just could learn this lesson, I'm such a dummy. Why can't I just learn this lesson and get it right next time? It's not the, that's not the recipe to success. Well, right. I mean, I think we sometimes think I can't really feel good about myself or be on my own side until I've solved this problem. And so often, or until I've fixed this thing about myself. And so often it's exactly Mm -hmm. the opposite. We can't really make traction on that issue until we can be on our own side and accept ourselves the way we are as a work in progress. Yeah. It's that good old good enough principle that we've talked about in a, a few different episodes of this podcast. Now, in our Way Less program, we have a private forum where our users share ideas, ask questions, and uh, one of our users posed this great question the other day, and it went something like this. To what degree have I identified myself by how much I weigh? And is this good, bad, or is it just stating a fact? Should it actually be part of how I think about myself? I mean, it would be wrong to deny it, right? (laughs) Do others think this way? Where's the balance? Yeah, this launched such a great conversation between, you know, acknowledging, okay, here's the reality, but then making it part of our internalized identity with whatever judgments may come along with that. One of the aspects that people seem to be struggling with the most was the difference between denying that there was a problem or something that they wanted to work on and not allowing yourself to define yourself. So again, I went back to my generalized anxiety disorder and I added to the conversations that I definitely recognized that I had a generalized anxiety disorder and I got treatment for it. But a big step in that treatment was to, like I said earlier, stop identifying myself as an anxious person. Now, the difference is that I didn't deny that I had an issue that I wanted to work on, in this case, anxiety, but I didn't let it define me. Yeah, I think there's two important sort of kernels there. And one is that having awareness of a behavior and its consequences, like what is this behavior costing me, is often a really essential first step in becoming willing to make a change. So we do want to look squarely at things that may be not working in our lives instead of denying them or avoiding them. And, you know, there's another aspect to this, and that is that you know, acknowledging or accepting a limitation, perhaps that we can't change, such as a disability, can lead to a more empowered and a less victimized identity. That reminds me of the episode of Change Academy that we did with Heather Hutchison. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she was born blind. And even though she has been blind her entire life, she does not identify herself as a blind person in in fact, she actually most often refers to herself as a musician or a writer. Right. She doesn't deny the fact that she's blind because, of course, blindness is a big part of her and, and how she lives her life. But she she doesn't ever call herself a blind person. Like She wouldn't describe herself as something like that. And, and this also ties into that idea of radical acceptance, like we, I was talking about at the very beginning of this episode, that there's a difference between acknowledging something and allowing it to be a limitation. So again, it is very important to know that there is a difference between accepting that you are currently, let's say, overweight, and then identifying yourself as an overweight person. Right. And this is a big thing from cognitive behavior therapy as well. 
one of the things that you learn when you start cognitive behavior therapy is that the beliefs that you have about yourself drive your long-term behavior. So by learning to build a new identity and build some new beliefs about yourself, well, that can be a powerful step in actually changing your behavior. Right. But here's here's an important thing to remember that you you can't lie to yourself. Like we've said that before and we'll say it again. No amount of positive thinking and and uh blue sky dreaming, pie in the sky kind of dreaming will help because you know when you're lying to yourself. So don't try to do that. Just make sure that you are being incremental and and acknowledging the fact that your new identity is in formation so saying things like i'm someone who has been anxious but i'm i'm working towards being less anxious you don't have to go all the way to i'm not anxious ever because <laughs> right. well that's that's a lie i'm so glad you made that point because i think sometimes people hear this and they think we're talking about affirmations you know mm-hmm. where you stand in front of the mirror and you say 25 times i can run a five minute mile i'm a published author i have a million dollars in the bank or something like that <laughs> and with the idea that that just saying it over and over will make it true and that's not what we're talking about we're talking about saying things that we can believe that are true that are believable and right. The way I try to approach that is to frame those identity statements in terms of our values, you know, what we care about, what we are working towards, what we are willing to work for. And those can always be true, even if we are still working towards that end result that is not yet the case. Right. And we're not saying that affirmations have no place in the world, just not in this particular conversation. And to that point, you know, when I start coaching somebody for like a marathon or a triathlon or a bike race or something like that, I actually immediately, as soon as they sign up, start calling them my athlete. I refer to them as my athlete. <laughs> Love that. And and quite often people like push back and say, no, hey, I'm no athlete. But I always insist on calling them that because I think it's really important for them to start embodying that and embracing that idea. And by me, their coach actually labeling them as that, I think it gives them a little push in that in that right direction. And I think this sort of goes along really well with what James Clear wrote in his book, Atomic Habits, that every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become, which is really exactly what we're talking about. And, and he went on to say that each time you write a page, you're a writer. Mm-hmm. Every time you practice the violin, you're a musician. Each time you start a workout, you're an athlete. Now, this thought process can reinforce that behavior as more than just a more than just something that you're working on, more than just an endeavor, but it can reinforce it as an actual identity. And that is just so powerful. So, if you want some new habit, let's say an exercise habit to stick, you don't want to just focus on running a marathon. You want to become a runner. Mm. You don't want to just write a book. You want to become a writer. Right. And so on. Yeah. It's not just what you do. It's who you are. And like yeah. we said, that can cut both ways. So <laughs> let's make sure yes. we're using that to our advantage. Well, and another thing that I want to bring up here is that a lot of our identity is social, mm-hmm. you know, and it's determined by how we see ourselves in relationships to groups or how we think that others see us. And in the world of academic psychology, this is often referred to as social identity model of identity change. Simic, <laughs> S-I-M-I-C. But I think Oh, I love those catchy names. <laughs> they come so up catchy. With. 
Can't you just see yourself crawling into bed one night with a you know an issue of the Journal of Social Identity Model of Identity Change? No, put me right to sleep, I'm sure. Volume of 124. No, but I think the, the point here is that forming relationships or being in a community of other people with a similar identity or similar goals can really help support that gradual identity change. So for example, hanging out with active people if you're trying to become someone who is more active or hanging out with people who are working towards a similar goal, like hanging out with writers if your goal is to write a book or hanging out with students if you are working on education, self-education. Exactly. Yeah. Just looking around at the, the group of people around you and find those individuals in your world that embody the behavior that you want to manifest can really help you. We all know people that just seem to do a lot of this stuff just effortlessly and completely without even thinking about it. Surround yourself with those kind of people. What we can do is start to borrow their, what I'm thinking of as their superpowers by adopting aspects of their identities and slowly sort of making their identity at least part of yours. You don't want to become them, but yeah. adopting some of, their, some of their behaviors, some of their identities can be very helpful. Stealing some of their superpowers. Yeah, I think of it as kind of having role models. You know, one of my mm -hmm. goals is to age well, to remain vibrant and engaged as I get older. And so I love to make friends with people who are much older than I am and who seem really vivacious and engaged with life and excited about living. I, I want those people around me <laughs> because, <laughs> because I want to watch what they do. And I want to, like you said, adopt some of their, borrow some of their superpowers. That's why I started hanging around with you. Oh, ouch. <laughs> Just kidding. All right, you jerk. Well, here's one last point that I want to make, and that is, you know, we're talking about how our identity helps to shape our behavior. But as we said at the beginning, it does go both ways. Our behavior also shapes our identity. And I, I think that's a little bit of what's behind that old aphorism fake it until you make it. Sometimes mm -hmm. yeah. we have to just kind of compel ourselves to take that action a few times until it starts to feel a little bit more natural. So you can kind of play both ends against the middle. But I think one last point is that we are going to be more willing and also more likely to engage in behaviors if we see them as being aligned with our core values. And we talk about this all the time, why it's so important to have a really compelling why for the things that we're trying to accomplish. You know, why does this matter to me? Why is this important to me? How does it align with my core values? It's just one more tool in the toolbox towards behavior change. For a long time now, I've been considering vegetarianism hmm. as being an example of a lot of what we talk about in in habit change and, oh i thought you just i thought you meant you were considering becoming a vegetarian i'm from alberta um no no i mean oh, is that uh, an identity statement that prevents you from making a change ooh, ooh. very well spotted okay nice Okay. Anyway, I'm not considering becoming a vegetarian, but I've been looking at why we all know, well, at least I, I assume many, many of us know people out there who are vegetarian and they will never be swayed. They, that is their identity. And then we know other people who dabble with yeah. it, but when bacon is on the table, right. they're suddenly not vegetarian. <laughs> but and so I've been considering this for a while, and I think it really fits into into this conversation, that if you really want to limit your meat intake, which 
one of these do you think would actually allow you to adhere best over the long term, whether your decision was faith-based or ethics-based or health-based or weight loss-based? Those seem to be, at least in my experience, the four ways that people or the four reasons that people become vegetarians. And it often seems to be the ethic-based, the faith-based ones that really stick to it. And and not saying that you can't stick to it if you're health-based, but I think there's an aspect of exactly what we're talking about when it's faith-based or when it's ethic-based that it becomes your identity rather than just something that you're you're doing. Oh, that's such a good point. And now I'm curious to know whether there have been any studies looking at this or, or surveys um, looking at this. I, I, I'm going to have to go check that out because I'm, I'm curious to know. But I think you're probably right. If I had to guess, I would say that those people that base that decision about their dietary choices on something that is much more intrinsically important to them, like their faith or, or their sense of morality or ethics, probably adhere much more, are more more likely to adhere than people that are doing it in an effort to lose weight or because they think it might make them healthier. It's pretty easy to kind of talk yourself out of that. Like you say, when the bacon rolls around, but good point. (laughs) It's just this once, just one slab Mm. of bacon. All right. Well, this great conversation, I feel like we could continue to unpack this, but in the, in the interest of keeping this compact, let me draw this together into a handful of takeaways and then maybe let people kind of think about it. And I kind of like to hear back from people what their, what their takeaways from this episode were, but here are mine. Number one, that there's an important difference between acknowledging a trait or a circumstance or a reality that you'd like to change and allowing that to define you. Mm -hmm. Number two, that it can be so much easier to persist in a new behavior or set of behaviors if we're also working on building an identity that supports that. The third one is the one we just talked about, that linking our behaviors to our core values can really help reinforce both positive habits and identity. And then finally, that social aspect, that who we associate with can have such a powerful effect, either positively or negatively, on our progress toward our goals. So choose your company wisely. Indeed. Okay, so the lab experiment for this week is a technique that you may have heard of before. It's called STOP, and but this STOP has two P's, so S-T-O-P-P. And it's a technique that I learned in cognitive behavior therapy, but I think it's more widespread than that. I think people apply it in, in many different ways, but I think it really couldn't be applied here. So the first step in STOP is the, the S, and that stands for STOP. <laughs> and that is what you do when you hear yourself using terms to describe yourself that seem limiting. So you just stop yourself. Then the second step is T for take a breath. And this is always a good thing to do. Those cleansing breaths that they talk about in yoga can be just so centering and so important to just give yourself that beat to calm everything down, let your nervous system come down so you can consider the situation a little bit better. And that leads us to number three, which is the O in stop, which is observe. And at that point, you you want to take a minute and just think, what am I really saying about myself when I say that? What do these words or these terms that I'm that I'm using, what do they cause me to think about myself? Then the next one is number four, that's P for perspective. And this is where you take a minute to consider the bigger picture. 
is this an important fact about me? Could there be a different way of presenting this aspect of myself? What would someone else say about you if they were asked? Hmm. And then finally, the second P, which is practice. And of course, as we always say, don't just do this thing once. You need to repeat it again and again because replacing any well-rehearsed identity will take time. So don't try it once and, well, that didn't work, then just give up. Make sure that you replace that identity and you rehearse it again and again. Yeah, it all comes down to what evidence you're priming yourself to collect. What belief will you be reinforcing? Right. Hey, you know, if you want a copy of that lab experiment or any of our lab experiments, the easiest thing to do is to put yourself on our mailing list, on our newsletter mailing list, because every time we release an episode, we'll send you a quick email with a copy of the lab experiment enclosed. And if you have any misgivings about signing up for our newsletter, we promise we will not spam you. So you can go and sign up at changeacademypodcast.com and there's a little form right there on the page. So changeacademypodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter and we promise no spam. (laughs) Just lab experiments. Right. Okay, this has been Monica Reinagle. And Brock Armstrong. Thank you so much for listening to The Change Academy. We'll see you next time. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone. And don't forget to go to changeacademypodcast.com to sign up for the newsletter. See you again.